Hi, it's Damien Christoph here. Are you ready to take your life to the most incredible level possible in 2016? Well, we've had three sold out wellness summits these last few years, but honestly, nothing comes close to the wellness breakthrough and we have just three spots remaining. Your favorite wellness couch experts, the wellness guys, Karen Smith, Kim Morrison, Quirky Cookings, Joe Witten, Marcus Pierce, and of course, Carl Brock are gathering in the Dandenong Ranges for three days and two nights for one incredible event. If you want possibly the greatest peer group in health and wellness to help you catapult your life to the next level, then we'd love to see you at the Wellness Breakthrough from February 5th to the 7th. But again, there's only three spots available. Entry to the breakthrough is by application only, and to apply, simply email your contact details to marcus at thewellnesscouch.com. Thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to The Abnormal Psychologist, the show that shares everyday insights into getting the best out of your mind, body, and lifestyle. Now please welcome your host, The Abnormal Psychologist herself, Carrie Thompson-Casey. Hello and how are you going? Welcome to another episode of The Abnormal Psychologist with me, your host, Carrie Thompson-Casey, the show where we are giving you the how-to to get the best out of you. And today I'm feeling very privileged to finally have nailed down the very exciting Leia Hechtman, who is a very well-known naturopath and I have quite admired her from afar her, and her amazing textbook that she co-wrote um, and it's it's just a beautiful resource. So Leia is also the director um, of the Natural Health and Fertility Centre. So welcome Leia. Thank you so much Carrie. Lovely to be here. So Leia, tell us a bit about your story and how you came to be quite the significant naturopath that you have become. <laughs> okay, well, I'll give it my best shot. Um, so as a kid, I always wanted to be a doctor. I was one of those people that um, someone had a headache, you know, there's me three years of age, four years of age, running and, and trying to fix them and massage their neck and put a cold compress on and, you know, do all that sort of stuff and um, put my hands on their head and all this sort of stuff. And my mum says I used to do it from sort of two, three years of age. Wow. Um, and, you know, someone was sick and I was there trying to fix them. And it was always something that I wanted to do and the universe works in its own way sometimes. Um, and I was sick for a number of years. I was um, I was sick as a child and then I was sick sort of in my teens and I was sick in my teens to the point where I had to miss a year of school. Right. That's um, a lot of time. And, and, Pardon? That's a lot of time for that yeah. age. I, I missed lots of chunks and then I missed um, year 11 and then I ended up not being able to finish year 12 either. So my dreams of being a doctor was either continue pushing through this school thing or knowing that complementary medicine had helped me so much, start with complementary medicine and then if I still wanted to, go back to medicine. So I started with complementary medicine and didn't look back. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So I started with like one module when I was 17 and, you know, that's all I could manage with my health and built it up and, you know, finished it and all that sort of stuff and found myself at 21, 22 years of age as a naturopath and went, right, here we go. Um, and, you know, studied all sorts of other things along the way with it, um, met some incredible clinicians all around the country and overseas and, um really understood that my path guided me to help others in many different ways and I still feel a sense that my knowledge of 
my own experience really influences who I am as a clinician and certainly who I am as a lecturer, an educator, an author, whatever it is, because I understand it from the patient experience. And I think that you have to understand it on that level to be able to completely put yourself in the patient's situation and really meet their needs. And, you know, I learned this skill at a really young age, which was really tapping into that intuitive component of yourself, but really tapping into what's the thread of health to get this person out of where they're in and knowing what was that path for myself, how to get out of it helps me meet a person and go, yep, okay, there's the path. We can find it. We can get out of this as opposed to faffing around and trying to help them and yeah. not living anywhere. Um, I think so, there's a lot of lot of similarities there in terms of psychology as well. When someone initially presents, of course, we don't know what is happening just by looking at them. But as the story unfolds, you can start to sort of take the pieces apart and have a look at them in a different way as an observer and an objective observer too and be able to say, you know, what you start to hear starts to then rebuild a new picture where you start to understand it from a problem to solve rather absolutely. than the chaos or the unanswered questions and uncertainties. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, um, you know, I think I've always had this part of my mind that loves jigsaw puzzles and loves being able to crack a case, you know, for one of a yeah. more colloquial way to describe it. But it's one of those things that it's, you know, I never give up with people because I never wanted anyone else to give up on me and I just would keep searching for answers for myself so I keep searching for answers for people that I see as a clinician and, you know, I started in practice and very, you know, I look back now and I probably think a little bit cocky, Um, (laughs) (laughs) you know, just young but I was just passionate and committed and dedicated and off I went and, you know, I met some phenomenal people along my own healing journey, you know, where I was meeting meditation teachers and energetic healers and all that sort of stuff as well. And, you know, I found myself at 17 teaching meditation classes. And so then at 22, when I'd graduated as a naturopath, I approached the college, um, one of the colleges that I'd connected to and said, will you let me teach? And they said, yes. And they let me teach Bach flowers. And so at 22, there I was standing in front of a classroom teaching Bach flowers. But it was, it was such a, a useful useful thing that I did because you know you throw yourself in the teacher position and yes I did have a lot of experience with flower essences so I wasn't completely inappropriate to teach the class but it was you know I was 22 it was quite young yeah so you know there's all of that that you sort of consider but you know it set me on the path of teaching and practicing at the same time and I think that both made me better at each other you know to the point where obviously continue teaching and then you know lecturing full naturopathy and lecturing at all the colleges and then all the university options and then you know lecturing at conferences and you know all the other stuff that continues from there but it gave me the confidence to do it and similarly being able to teach and having the ability to impart knowledge in multiple ways made me a better clinician so you know I found myself 22 and then continuing on and then I obviously you know after naturopathy did my Bachelor of Health Science and then I got itchy feet and decided that the area that I really wanted to specialise in as a clinician was reproductive medicine, fertility, pregnancy, all those sorts of areas. So I decided to go against the grain and study at Sydney Uni and do their Masters um, in Science of Reproductive Medicine and Genetics. And I wanted to do the very, very mainstream medical one because 
I wanted someone to shatter my knowledge base so that I could rebuild it. And so what I found was that everything that I thought I knew about naturopathy and health, I literally pulled it apart and brought the science into it on a really deep level, you know, like a genetic level even, and pulled it apart and then had to rebuild it. And so it was a way that I unlearned everything that I'd learned again. You know, so first it was the unlearning as the patient and then it was the unlearning of the naturopath. And then um, I rebuilt it. And when I rebuilt it, I, you know, it was all of those things that you're taught as a student that, you know, you're taught that don't, you couldn't quite work out why they were the truth and you had to work that out again. Um, You know, one teacher saying, this is what you use this herb for. And it didn't kind of make sense to me. But when I'd unpacked everything, broken it all apart and rebuilt it, I had a completely different foundation of knowledge. like two different directions. So you could answer it from the science perspective as well as from the naturopathic perspective where I guess the field of inquiry is quite different. So one is sort of looking for that more organic physiological question and and answer, whereas, you know, I guess naturopathy is looking for that wisdom from nature. And that sounds a bit corny, but you know what I mean? That's what it is. That's what it is. Yeah, and I mean, I guess my nature is I do many things at once. So anyone that knows me, that's just my personality. Um, And so synchronistic with studying my master's, I'd been lecturing at universities and colleges for so many years at that point that I had all of them telling me to rewrite subjects and they were paying me to write their subjects. And I was like, okay, this is ridiculous. First and foremost, why can't we all have the same content? And secondly, it needs to be streamlined that all the lecturers are doing the same thing. So I wrote a textbook at the same time. So <laughs> As you do. As you do. Um, <laughs> it's amazing. The, the advantage of it was that I had the, the constant challenge of how I saw things from that science model, from the, the masters infiltrate into the textbook. And so I, what I ended up creating was a very systematic textbook that every student can pick up and make sense of and it created a system in education in naturopathy. And I don't mean to sound egotistical, but it was this thing where there was no system because synchronistic with that, I was also on the board of National Herbalist Association of Australia. And I started out as an examiner, then went on to be VPMP. But at the time when I was starting the book, I was an examiner. So I was across the board of all the qualifications in the country. And everyone was doing different things. (laughs) And it was like, we just need one thing to streamline it. So I had all these influences happening at the same time and it just synchronized beautifully. Yeah. So, you know, we're now at the point where every single student uses it as their core textbook, which is just fantastic. We're changing it quite a lot. It's great. Well, I I mean, again, I have done, um, well, I'm in the middle of the AD in naturopathy and nutritional medicine running simultaneously, mm-hmm. but I've also done the undergrad and postgrad for psychology and then the masters. And there's very few textbooks, and there's been a lot of textbooks in that time, but there's very few textbooks that I will on a Sunday afternoon go, hmm, I might just go and have a bit of a look. <laughs> and I do, I I love it. it. I mean, for people who want to know that, it's called clinical naturopathic medicine or some other naturopaths that I've been talking to, is they call it the big green book. So, <laughs> um, just in case you were wondering, oh, is that that big green book? Yes, it's the big green book. Um, and it is, it, it is, I mean, I think even 
not that I'm suggesting a layperson or non-student, you know, grab the book and they can become a naturopath, but it certainly has lots of useful information. And you and I, before the call, were having a chat about a couple of the chapters where I was like, huh, you know, that I haven't even covered as part of the course, but I've just found myself, as I said, flicking through the book because it's so interesting and it's so easy to read, but it has enough technical validation for you to go, yes, I understand now, why, like you were saying, why that makes sense, why, you know. It's, it's just a fabulous textbook. It really is. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate Ma- it. Major achievement. <laughs> so, sorry, you. did I just interrupt? Were you on a, on a roll there with your story? And I interrupted I don't know. You? That's okay. We'll find it again. Well, we well, were we're in the midst of rewriting it. Yeah. So we're doing the second edition now. So well, it's interesting also looking at it where I'm at now and, and how that's influencing the textbook. So it's good. It's good. It's an evolving process. But um, where was I? Yeah, so doing lots of things at once, but they all helped each other, which I yeah. think is really good. And, you know, I think I set out with the textbook to streamline and to unify in the hope of moving us towards registration, which we're still on the path of. And that was also why I um, joined the board when I did. Um, But, yeah, I guess... I guess what I've learnt, you know, from, you know, at that particular time was just the amount of things that I had going at the same time was quite a lot, but it they all helped each other and they all took me to the next place. Um, and the next place where I'm at, well, from there where I went to was um, finished the Masters and then started a PhD, uh, which I'm still in the midst of. Um, and the PhD is looking at anti-malarian hormone or AMH, so really specific medical very. fertility, very, very, you know, detail-oriented. Um, and I'm loving doing that because I'm working with the two main fertility clinics in Sydney as well as the two main fertility units in the two main hospitals. Um, and we've got studies going and, you know, my dialogue and my communication is with all these phenomenal brains basically is how I put it. And, you know, if I learnt nothing else from the Masters was just to be able to sit in a room with minds that can expand you beyond where your mind is at, I find that just the most phenomenal growth. So I have to continue growing um, through my education pursuits as my clinic continues because otherwise I get stale. So the PhD is still underway, loving it, doing it part-time because in the middle of it I've had two kids. Um, You know, I have a three-month-old at the moment. Um, But, yeah, the PhD part of it I, I really, really love. The NHAA I continued for eight years. I just stepped down in October purely because I need to finish the PhD because I just need that extra time. And I ended up being president of NHAA for four years, VP for two, examiner for two. Um, And as president of NHAA, um, it's interesting if I sort of look back in hindsight because that systematic approach that I created in the textbook, I pretty much did the same thing for the board. Um, so I guess that's part of my brain. It's very structured and organised and, you know, all that and sort of like stuff. You like to flow. You like to, things to flow logically. It has to. It has to. So that's the National Herbalist Association. Yeah. 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 And, and that was incredibly rewarding. Um, you know, I look back on it now and it was an enormous amount of work um, and, you know, I feel proud where I left it. I'm you know, humbled as a member to watch it continue to grow and I think it's a phenomenal association. Um, But doing the work in an association environment, um, I learned an enormous amount of leadership skills, which was very appealing to me. Um, I was able to give back to my profession, which was really my primary motivator, 
and help to try to influence the profession. Exactly. Like, and, I mean, I think that's a credit to you to have got to that point where you can be of influence. Yeah, I, I hoped that I did in some capacity. You never know. Um, I it, it was very humbling. It was an amazing experience, you know, to be involved from a political level, from an industry level, from a profession level, and then also from the member level. You know, I, I've worked with some phenomenal people, you know, because the NHLA board is a volunteer board and so I worked with some incredible people all around the country and learned an enormous amount from a lot of people. Um, and it's, it's you know, also it's rewarding to give back, you know. it's It makes you feel good when you can give to the profession and, and you can help it along. And so I hope that, you know, people can look back on that time that I was there to and, and hope that I did something of value. Um Obviously, the other arm is the clinical arm and the clinical arm where I've taken it for me and, you know, I'll just add a little caveat here is the clinic is the thing that keeps me grounded. It's the thing that is my reason for waking up above and beyond anything else, obviously, apart from family and all that sort of stuff professionally. It's it's why I do what I do and I always find that, you know, I, I've done the board, I've done writing, lecturing, whatever, and that's always made me a better clinician because at the heart of it, I just want to help people on the path that they want to be on. I want to help them improve their health, understand their health, etc. And everything that I've done has helped me be a better clinician. Um, it's uh, it's made me more um, aware of who I am. I hope that it's humbled me. I hope that it's helped me meet people, you know, person to person on a better level and remove a lot of my ego out of the equation. Um it's, you know, I've taken it to the point now where, you know, it got to the point where I, I wasn't able to see any more new patients and I've had closed books for a long time and, you know, I accept the odd person here or there. But so what I've done is I've trained three naturopaths and they work underneath me and I've got other um, modalities that work in the clinic as well and I'm just sort of expanding the clinic hopefully with the same vision that we all share and it's, you know, above and beyond to help other people and to get to the bottom of it, to find the answers that they need and to help them achieve what they want. So so tell me about that then, like in terms of fertility. I mean, obviously fertility is becoming an increasing um, and you probably have more of an understanding of that than most people, that the in, sort of the increase in fertility issues. Mm. But taking it back down to the person level, mm. was there a moment when you started to realise, hang on a second, I can... I can help people here. I can help these um, couples that come in and they've been struggling with fertility for some time and and you start to know, you know what, there's things that these people can do. I can empower them to, mm. to do things differently and they have a baby. You know, that must be fairly amazing. It is. It is. It really is. You know, when I was studying, I thought I wanted to work with kids and everyone that I ever talked to always said to me, oh, you work with kids, you work with kids. And so when I first started out, I attracted a lot of kids. You know, as you do what you think you put out, you get. And then I realized I don't want to work with six, eight-year-old kids. I want to work with them before they're even born so that I can really influence things, you know. I remember this moment I was sitting there with a child that had pretty severe ADHD and the parents, and the parents were fighting basically, you know. They were obviously at their, you know, their end point of struggle with their child, but I could see how much if I could have helped the parents before they actually conceived their child, oh God, I could have done a hell of a lot more. And, you know, I guess my own health thing taught me that there's no, there's nothing that's unexplained. You've just got to dig a little bit more. 
And probably one of the most challenging areas of fertility is the unexplained infertility or the why am I not having a baby when I'm doing all the right things person. And it's really that they just need someone that actually really cares a lot more, that is willing to, to go the extra mile and is willing to investigate it. And so I realized I could help them have the baby if they were struggling to have the baby. And by doing that, I could also help them have a healthier child. You know, like those basics of, a, you know, a simple deficiency of a nutrient changing the IQ of your child. I realize, you know, I think back to that child with ADHD, I could have helped her not actually develop it. And wouldn't that have been more rewarding? And she wouldn't have had the six or eight years of suffering and the whole family system would have just been helped. So, yeah, it was a no-brainer, really. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, fertility and moving on for, from fertility quite quickly, I know that's quite a significant portion of your clinical work. Mm. Um, but the, are there things that you think people should be doing every day, like just the everyday person, what kind of things they should be including from a nutritional perspective or what ideas do you think people should should be pursuing? For fertility specifically or just general health? Well, probably both if you have time to let me know. like, So from a fertility perspective, what do you think people should be doing to look after their fertility and then just in general people making sure that they're in good health and well-being? What kind of things do you tell people to do? So if we take the fertility person first, um, I guess the most important thing from a fertility perspective is recognising that both you and uh, and your partner um, are 50% of the genetic material each. So you both have a role to play. And I do think that that preconception window is a preconception window nutritionally, environmentally, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And I think that you can do an enormous amount of work on yourself before you actually conceive your child, which will have a direct impact on your child's health and the rest of their lives. So, you know, eating well and um, reducing your exposure to environmental pollutants and toxins, making sure that nutrient deficiencies are addressed, um, exercising, sleeping sufficiently, reducing the stress in your life and your emotional well-being. I mean, all of those are so fundamentally important. And it's it's very common for me with couples to certainly work in with a number of couples counsellors to help them get through some of the garbage that's hanging around so that they can have the, the easiest, gentlest and most supportive experience. Um, from a general health perspective, it's the same sort of thing, but, you know, it's recognising the importance of good quality water. You know, the simple basics are the things that I think that we all lose sight of. You know, we get so caught up in superfoods and so caught up in the latest herb and the latest craze and the latest this. But the reality is, is if you drink tap water, you're doing more harm to your body that contains roughly 56% water than you are if you were to go and, you know, go on some latest craze of herb or whatever it is. You know, diet fads will come and go. It's about identifying what foods your body thrives with and what foods your body doesn't thrive with or that take energy away. And that may or may not fit into a dietary paradigm that someone is trying to tell you to follow. And it's about listening to your body, having the exchange of communication and recognizing, okay, today I feel like eating X and tomorrow I don't actually ever want to look at it again. And that's okay. You know, you might be a vegan 27% 20, uh, of the time and a carnivore the rest of the time. <laughs> it's about working out what works for you, you know. And, and people always go, okay, so what do you eat? And I go, that's irrelevant because that's what works for my body, not for yours. So when you say good quality water, what do you have in mind? So filtered or alkaline, like what kind of things are you thinking? 
the fundamentals, I think with water, I mean, I'm completely nuts, you would imagine, with my own health, yeah? So I do everything <laughs> to the level that, as I say to patients, you know, we're talking over 20 years of being a clinician, uh, being clinician, being involved in the health industry. We're talking about me doing everything to the nth degree. I don't expect you to. I, however, have spring water that's delivered in BPA-free plastic bottles that we drink, and then I have a water filter that we make soups out of or we wash our veggies with. I think both have their pros and cons. The biggest challenge with filtered water is that it filters out everything depending on the filter that you use and whether or not it remineralizes it. So if you have filtered water and there's no minerals attached to it, your cells can't actually absorb it. And then the disadvantages, potential disadvantages of spring water are for some people cost and also ensuring that whilst it's BPA-free, it's still in some element of plastic. We don't definitively know what um, that's going to be in the future. So it's not a, a perfect scenario, but it's the best for the moment. So for the average person, it's make sure that it's filtered and never drink tap. And as for alkaline or whatever, that one never really connects to me personally, so I never sort of focus too heavily on that, but making sure that they remineralize their filtered water. So whether or not that's just having increased electrolytes, pink salts, stuff like that, or whether or not they need to explore really good water filtration companies that do offer remineralization. Yeah, because there's so many, I mean, expensive so gizmos out there, oh, like the reverse osmosis and... There's so much out there. <laughs> fancy, fancy, you know, and yeah, so it can, I think people get confused and I, mm. and it, it is tricky. Like, you know, I even caught myself tonight, you know, um, watching my husband eat something that he should not be and thinking to myself, right, we really need to sit down and have a plan. We need to make a decision about what style of eating we're going to do. But, you know, you reminded me again that it's not necessarily the two of us saying, okay, we're going to eat this way or we're going to eat this way. It's about the two of us recognizing that we're quite different. Yeah. And, um, and it, it, like it can be tricky. You know, I hear people say, you know, I'm not going to make four different meals. But it's not so much about making four different meals. It's like, it, you know, at our house because we have different people with food allergies, it's about making it, a, I guess, like a little buffet. Yes. And whatever's left goes in lunchboxes. Exactly. You know, you know if <laughs> – if this one wants that, I mean, we do make sure the children have plenty of greens and we've probably turned them into monsters in a good way in that they really don't enjoy cooked vegetables anymore. If we go out, they prefer everything blanched or roasted. So it's it does have its downfalls too, but it's taken a long time to get them to to value that flavour and taste and, and freshness. But we digress. Um, so, um, so what have you learned about other people through your work, particularly in fertility, which must be such a magical experience. I'm sure it has its its rough times too. But what have you learned about people through your work? I've learned, I've learned a number of things. If I if we if we look at it as a general, I've learned that the body always knows best. Um, the body will always tell me what it needs if I'm quiet enough to hear it. And I need to trust the body because it might be it might be seemingly very very simple, but the most phenomenal effects can happen from it, you know. And I I do some body work as well with patients and adjustments and all sorts of stuff as well through my work, and it never ceases to amaze me how I can adjust uh, an area of a person's body and have the most phenomenal impact emotionally and physically and. It, it just never ceases to amaze me. No, it is. I was speaking to a lady, um, an older lady the other day who had just recently had her first experience of acupuncture and she said that she just wept for an hour, 
you know, she doesn't know where it came from and she certainly didn't go into the appointment feeling low, but she just felt this enormous amount of relief after these, this tearful experience. So mm. it's interesting that you say that. Mm. It's, it's so powerful, you know. It's, the body is so clever. And I think that, you know, often when people get to me, they've sort of, you know, they've seen so many people, they may have explored IVF, like all of the above, and they get to me and their bodies are a bit broken, you know, and it's about the rebuilding phase and reminding them that their body naturally wants to be in balance and naturally wants to be healthy. So there's no one's body that wants to be out and that, you know, be its preference. And it's about listening to it, doing whatever assessments are required and identifying things on a genetic level sometimes and just identifying the subtleties and those tiny little changes that we do, you know, like I'll identify a, a genetic abnormality and, and a, a nutrient deficiency from a receptor site or something and I'll treat it and then the whole body goes into this new state of balance and the ripple effect in their life is phenomenal. Their outlook, their happiness, you know, it, I'll meet people and it's always, you know, like I was joking with a patient last week, it's, it's, it's quite normal for me to meet someone who's very sick, never had the answers to why they were sick and then, you know, you, you fast forward 12 months and they're in a relationship and she's pregnant and, you know, like there's all these other things that have oh, happened. Amazing. And it's just beautiful. Yeah. It's just beautiful. What about you? What have you learned about yourself through your work? I've learned, I've learned that if I think that my capacity, uh, if I've reached capacity, I just have to look to, to my patients to recognise that I've got more in me. I think that they give me so much, um, not that I take from them in a malicious way, but the experience and the exchange with my patients, it reminds me I can always do more. I can always search harder. I can always um, find more answers. I can I can find the answers. I can push it further and fix another person, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so that capacity feeling that I know we all reach, I've learnt that I just have to recognise it when it comes up and push through. Okay. So what about some tips or daily rituals that you might have or weekly rituals that you do yourself? I know you said before that you don't really appreciate when people say, so what do you do? But for yourself, what do you do that makes you feel um, grounded, even if it's not necessarily for someone else to do? I have my support team. So I've got my own clinicians um, and I've also got supervision. So I've got clinicians just for me and my body. And I think as a practitioner, you have to continue to see other clinicians so that you're constantly reminded of the patient experience and reminded of the sensitivity, the fragility and the tenderness, if you get me. Yeah, um, definitely. And I always have um, a supervision so that I'm always accountable to someone and always reviewing and revising and improving on how I'm working. Um, so I see a number of different types of supervisors uh, for that purpose. On a practical level, um, I make sure that I switch off and I have time with my family, my husband, my two boys, um, that I am present when I'm with them and I'm not distracted and they keep my heart open, you know. So that's they keep me engaged and emotional and um, grounded. And I also try and make sure that I have time out for myself um, it might be in a Pilates class. It might be, you know, going for a walk or something like that, but just that I have time where I'm quiet just for me to be me. Gorgeous. Okay. 
So how can people find you? I know you said that you're not really taking anyone on, um, but how can people find your clinic or any other books and projects that you might be working on? So I've got my own website and then I've got the clinic website. Um, I'm technically, technically I have closed books, but there are exceptions. So there are people that will, you know, email me and will say, this is my story, I need help and I'll make an exception. Um, but I've, I have trained these other clinicians and they're, they're really skilled um, and really wonderful and, and they're taking sort of my overflow. So the, the clinic website is naturalhealthfertility.com.au and my site is the .com version. Um, Program-wise, you know, in, the, in 2016 the clinic will be having a lot of information nights and programs that we're going to be running for people. Um, and professionally, I'll be doing a whole batch of different lectures and um, different things, as well as the second edition of the textbook and some other textbooks that I'm contributing to, which will be all on my site. So there'll be lots of information there. Wonderful. So you really are out there, really having an amazing impact on the lives of many people. So not just students, but on your clients and patients as well. That's so amazing. Well, I've really enjoyed having you, Leah, and I really enjoyed um, what you were saying about how there's that reciprocal sort of role that you have, not just as a lecturer and a student, but as a clinician and with your patients as well. It's really great to hear. So, and I've loved having you, the TAP listener, join me today. And please share what you loved about the podcast with your friends and family. And you can subscribe to TAP in iTunes or from the website at carriethompsoncasey.com. And when you visit carriethompsoncasey.com, you can check out what I'm up to, including the store and events. So thank you for joining me and see you on the next episode of The Abnormal Psychologist, where we share real people's stories and give you real ideas so that you can realize your potential. Take care. We hope you enjoyed this Wellness Catch podcast brought to you by Audible. Do you find that you just don't have time to read all the awesome books that you hear mentioned on the Wellness Couch? Well, Audible might just have the answer. Audible is offering the Wellness Couch listeners a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. You can get books like Eat Right for Your Blood Type, Why We Get Fat by Gary Torps, Paleo Diet for Athletes, or even The Success Principles by Jack Canfield. So to download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com forward slash the wellness couch again that's audibletrial.com forward slash the wellness couch for your free audiobook this has been a production of the check us out on facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash the wellness couch subscribe to each show on itunes and check us out on twitter the wellness couch streaming wellness into your lives Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.